Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Welcome to the Earful of Dirt Podcast. I am Joshua Fredlin. Um, Aaron Castro is off this week. He has uh, work commitments. Um, he will be back hopefully next week. But as usual, I, um, one of our usual guests is Liam Poach. He's here. You can find him at Poacher Rugby. And special guest this week, John Wayne Cullen. How are you, sir? What's up, fellas? Glad to be on. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Happy to be here. Hey, man, that's how I got involved in this podcast. They're the ones who put the credentials in my resume, dude. It's it's literally true. I think. Okay, I started with mine. I started doing mine, and it, and it was fun. Uh, we can get into later into the show of why I just took a couple week hiatus, um, more protecting myself than anyone else. But yeah, I called Aaron. I called Dan. I called everyone. Like, all right, how do I do this and not suck? And then I did like the first couple episodes. I was like, okay, so you just suck no matter what advice you get and you just got to live through it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> here's the thing. The worst part is when you realize you're sucking as the pod is happening and there's nothing you can do. There's no kind of like, all right, hold on, cut, cut. Let me do that again. Nah, dude, people are yeah. listening. It's live, baby. <laughs> well, yeah. And I don't, I don't have, the, I don't have the, the Pat McAfee production team next to me with graphics and videos and analytics just to pull up and talk. You see what's in my background, life. dude? This I'm, is I'm, my, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> my grandma. My grandma made me this blanket for, for a Christmas gift one time. This is my set, baby. <laughs> I'm in my little uh, Lake Tahoe studio apartment, but I call it my box, my Tinder box, because the first forest fire that reaches my property, I'm going up, man. <laughs> I okay, I went totally the other way. Uh, Lake Tahoe, Tinder. I thought we were going a different direction. That's my bad. Sorry. Hey, hey, dude. I hey, I got my girlfriend going in that direction actually. So. <laughs> oh, there you go. Exactly. All right. Well, if you're in Tahoe. You're doing something right. Exactly, man. I'm loving it. Loving it. Though no rugby up here, dude. The closest club is like the Reno Zephyrs, and I'm pretty sure they're like D two. That's like an hour and a half drive for me. And then I was gonna say that's it's probably right. a five hour drive to anyone else. Essentially, yeah, dude. There's only two ways in and out of Tahoe, and it's always clogged with tourists. <laughs> well, I was saying, what's, Sac what's Tahoe to Sacramento? Is that a haul? Uh, no, it's only like I think it's only like two and a half hours, maybe. So I'm, I mean, I'm not I'm not doing that to go practice rugby. No, definitely not, man. Dude, like, dude, uh, when I, when I was living in Houston and I was working with the uh, the West Houston Lions, I used to have to go from Third Ward to Katy. And that was a total bitch. That was like an hour and a half with traffic. The uh, the Des Moines Rugby Club, shout out Des Moines Rugby Club, just moved up to D2, doing big things. They are a 14-minute drive from my apartment. So incredibly convenient to go play touch. Oh, so that's that's got to be pretty good. <laughs> All right. So what do you guys say we talk about some rugby, eh? I, I guess so. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot real quick, John, but hey, just just give us your overall impressions of the season so far. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd have to say probably in an all-encompassing realm, the most successful, well-put-together season I think the league's ever seen when you're going off production value, play value, 
um, quality of product on the field that you're seeing on either the streams or the uh, network broadcasts. I think early on we had some some stumbles. Like I, I was I was never one to voice like the weird um, like thirty to like seventy second things that the stream would be up and there's just no noise and you're just staring at an empty field. I'm like, come on, guys, people are watching. But um, I think we've cleaned it up. Um, gosh, I, it is it is kind of nice to be a back in my day guy on some things. Like, <laughs> but we're not playing at middle school football fields anymore. And we're not, we don't, you know, it's not bleachers, it's actual stands. And, you know, there's been some wazoo stuff with LA and what they're doing and having 27 different lines on the field. And, you know, I think unfortunately New England and DC are kind of in that world, but, you know, good with the bad, right? I still think, you know, we're 100X from year one, which is what you always want. But I mean, the quality of quality of rugby wise, I'm leaps and bounds. It's it's hard to put into words how much that's jumped up, which is cool to see. Mm-hmm. For sure, and, and it's not like this year that like has been without its issues though. Like, because obviously, like Sandy, both San Diego and New York have had issues like with getting their stadiums set. Uh, New York, right now, one of the most unique playing fields right now with, with that baseball field in the background. <laughs> But it hasn't exactly been a hindrance. Like nobody's been on the edge of their seat thinking, "Is this going to ruin the season?" It's been pretty fluid in terms of how the league's been able to deal with these roadblocks getting thrown in their way. So that's, right. that's a good sign that we're able to to react and adapt. You know, but and I think the safest thing we have right is is our most of our fans are still rugby peeps, and it's like who who's who's more understanding of some last minute dog and pony show changes for a team to play a game and fields being changed day of like that's the most american rugby thing that's ever existed like oh hey hey boys we gotta oh we gotta skip this exit we're actually gonna go up two more exits because they found a different field for us to play on no locker rooms we'll set some tents up just get changed and let's let's play some rugby like wait aren't we in the mlr I'll never forget. Uh, so uh, every year, my college we have this tournament called the Snow Bowl. We're up in northern Vermont, and the tournament tends to be in like early April when there's still snow on the ground. However, in this particular year, it was a pretty warm uh, winter, and so by the time early April rolls around, the rugby field is no snow and just completely muddy. So the, of course, the school tells us last minute, no rugby being played on the pitch. So we have to go to the fairgrounds where, like, you know, where they have like the, the county fair uh, every year. And we have to get there at like six o'clock in the morning because we have to comb the entire field for broken glass, for, you know, pieces of metal and trash and stuff like that. And it was it was a work, too. And even during the game, we were picking up little bits of glass and stuff like that. So, yeah, rugby people were definitely pretty, pretty good at understanding when issues in terms of field use and other shenanigans pop up. That's that's American rugby, baby. I, I don't know if there's a rugby player in the in these great continental u.s that does not have a story like that yeah (laughs) all right so in terms of the games coming up this week josh what do you want to hit first Uh, or the the games that happened this week sorry i'm (laughs) jumping ahead i know give me give me one second i'm trying all right here we go just pulling up the stats i will take the first match which was utah beating new york 29 (laughs) to 28 you know i was 
was very, it was a close match, you know, like both teams got up, teams got down. <laughs> Finish, uh, Mika Cruz ended up finishing off at the end. Uh, let's see. Utah had almost a 200 uh, carry meter advantage. Um, New York had a New York committed 19 penalties to Utah's eight and then had a f- almost 40 more tackles as well. So, you know, it was Utah's ball for the majority of the match. Um, I think that's New York's playing style, similar to how they attacked Atlanta last week. You know, make Utah play with play with the ball and force them to attack. And fortunately, that's actually Utah's game. So, you know, they kind of played into their hands. And unfortunately, Utah Utah's keeping hold of that second spot. Uh, New York's now still in second place, but it's not, it's no longer a sure thing. So what'd you guys see? So for sure, I, I felt like this, this game definitely wasn't a must win for New York, but at the same time, Josh, you said that they're still hanging on to that number two spot, but it's not as firm, a, a, as firm a grasp as it was just a few weeks ago, especially with NOLA and New England, both getting victories uh, in, in their last matches. So right now, and especially uh, Atlanta still has to go to Union Point to uh, to play New England in the final week of the season. So that could come down to being a pretty crucial uh, game for the final playoff spots. In terms of what I saw uh, during the game, I thought Utah, um, kind of like L.A., I think they're a pretty good team in terms of being able to u- utilize the entire field. While they might not have the speed and the fluidity that you usually see with L.A., I think it definitely stretches defense and defenses and kind of causes them a lot of stress and in terms of how they have to shift in order to defend, um, you know, each of the channels. But where Utah, I thought, really had, uh, you know, the upper hand on New York was inside of the 22, particularly inside the five meter, even where I felt like New York kind of dragged those phases out um, that eventually uh, ended in points, and it just uh, it accomplished more than just getting points. It wore New York down. So by the time the second half came, I felt like New York was a little bit slow on the uptake in terms of reacting in the breakdown. And that's kind of what allowed Utah to sort of control the pace and make sure that they, you know, stayed up. And, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, it was an East versus West. Um, Utah, I don't think, is sweating is, is sweating the Western Conference too much other than the Gilgronies cu- coming up. But I think when all is said and done, I, th- I think their offense is a little bit more adapted making that push. Uh, but, yeah, this was a not 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 a not a great week to lose for, uh, for the New York team. Um, so it's. <laughs> it's going to come down to uh, New England versus NOLA. I think the, the results of that game, whether or not there's going to be any bonus points uh, involved, is going to have a big impact on their season. Yeah, I, I was expecting to see the New York that we saw against L.A. And there's some stuff with New York. They kind of get set in a game plan or they make an alteration or, or they, they, excuse me, they go into a game with like a certain mindset and, and that's it. They're doing it until the wheels fall off and there's no changing. I remember thinking the same thing. It was early in the season when they played NOLA and they were trying to like tap and go and spin the ball wide and offload against NOLA at NOLA in the heat. And I was like, Who, is someone going to stop this? Like, can you guys have a huddle and talk? Like, that's a terrible idea. And then you see against LA, it's like, nope, we're not having it. We're going into every every tackle with a purpose. We're causing a, a ruckus at every breakdown. Every ball is going to be slow. We don't care if we score three points, you're scoring zero. And, um, and they stuck with it. Good, bad, and different, they stuck with it. And it shut down, at the time, the most potent attack we had in the league. And I'm like, that's where my pick came from. I was like, well, I'm going to assume they're just going to pull up the L.A. tape and be like, 
hey, do this again because you're just playing a, a similar attacking team in a different color jersey. But you kind of saw that, and it, I don't know, we're, we're on the fence. We can talk philosophy, but like that, that out of the ruck and, oh, we're just going to have so many guys on our feet. But I'm like, if they're getting fast ball, who cares how many guys are, if if six of you are still shuffling from the ruck because the ball is being spun out in 1.5 seconds, who cares if you're all on your feet? You still just got beat by one pass. So I was surprised to see them do that more standoff defense than the attack one. I don't know what they saw in film, but I was I was ready to see that LA New York. And early on, I was like, ooh, you're gonna you're gonna kind of give them too many options. And then I was joking with Josh before the show. I was like, you go up on a two-try lead, and what other team in the league outside of Utah has a mental advantage down two tries? Because you see the other team getting worried about a comeback. And I'm like, boys, just keep playing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, I've actually been in a couple of the, the Atlanta press um, press conferences, and one of the questions keeps keeps getting brought up. Um, one of the players, um, grandmas keeps – texting the players like why don't you guys put the game away and that's almost the same thing with Utah like they don't want to put the game away because you're right I think they almost play better down like they don't like they take the lead and they let it come back and then just want to finish it at the end because they want to want that psychological edge I guess there's definitely, there's definitely something to be said about, you know, a sense of urgency when you're playing and this, uh, too much of a sense of comfortability, comfortability, too much comfort <laughs> when you're playing with a lead. Yeah, no. I can give you the, the most insider trading that I can give you into the Utah Warriors, knowing uh, Davies and Pitts and just knowing the guys, that is a – play with a chip on your shoulder, underdog behind no one believes in you mentality. And they're going to, I don't care if they're undefeated, they're going to hold on to that for this entire season. Because I mean, up until this season, that's really what we were. And that is a message that will never stop being sent from as long as there's some of the old farts are still hanging around on that team from the first couple years, first couple rough years, that message is going to resonate well. And you're kind of seeing the payoff of that. There is something to be said that now that MLR is like, you know, going into year four, that there is a real sense of culture being started, starting to be cultivated within these clubs, you know, whereas, you know, year one, year two, is still a pretty new organization. Guys are still kind of, you know, Island of misfit toys ish, but uh, you know, now it's each organization is really starting to forge its own, own identity. And I think that's going to, you know, pay off both on and off the field. Oh Yeah. Are we rolling right into game two? Yeah, yeah. go for it. All right. So, yeah, I had uh, NOLA Toronto. Um, this was one I, I watched in the car while post-tournament driving up to my in-law. Uh, thankfully, I wasn't driving, so I slightly paid attention. But I uh, won't have as great a stats as Josh did. But um, from what I saw, I think um, I'll touch on this with the L.A. team. You kind of see – a team like Toronto is like um, the man behind the mask, depending on who they have at 10 and who they have at 15 and how those two, uniquely those two players are deciding to play on that day. And, you know, Toronto, you know Toronto's never been a, a team like those, those – that 50-point game and the 40-point game, it was kind of like, okay, what, what was that? Um, 
And, you know, they've never been a wildly high-scoring offense. They've always been a potent, stable, good, structured attack that at the end of the game you looked up and you're like, wait, how did we give up 30 points? They didn't. They weren't doing anything. It's 30 points? Okay. Right. And, um, and I think, you know, if – if Taylor or Joaquin or um, they just brought back um, Sam Malcolm, who they just bring back Sam, when those guys are clicking, the, that Toronto attack is night and day. If they're off, the timing's off, the flow is off. They're they're very much a rhythm team. Just you know, you can say it's you know, kind of just like it's been said about the Canadian national team before and a Canadian style of playing, if you want to call it, it has to be in rhythm. Things have to be flowing. There's not going to be some wild one-off dude behind the back, sunny bill that leads to a try. It's, it's not normally how they've been built. Um, and against a team like Nola, if, if they weren't clicking, it was going to show. And you kind of saw that. And, on the flip side of that, NOLA has been maybe the number one – you want to talk about Island of Misfit Toys – maybe the number one team that has answered the bell of just plug and play. You're just going to play here today, and today you're a rugby player. Just get it done. As long as, they, as, long as they have Cam Dolan right there in the middle of, of everything, you know, just kind of leading that attack. <laughs> yeah, as long as Cam is there to pick up the most awkward, weird tries I've ever seen scored <laughs> – and, and give them a little spark, they'll be perfect. But Sometimes just a team that's just the only guy paying just, attention. Just, <laughs> hey, you, well, you he, have to give him. He a, used to be the intercept. Intercept. Go ahead, John. He used to be the intercept master in his younger days. I think he's getting slow, so now he's waiting for those things that dribble outside of rucks. He can't be out there intercepting <laughs> passes anymore. So he's got to pick up the little dribbles and, and just fall on them. Um, I, I love Cam. You, you, have to, you have to give them a little credit because I think they're what? They're on their fifth fly half option? Yeah, yeah like fifth it. fly half, third center, um, and then if whatever happens in these next four weeks with them is probably the most interesting. I don't – on paper, off the top of my head, I don't know if any other team loses more people. Remember the good old days where Taylor – with them, it's not just the Eagle. Yeah, but I was going to say, remember the good old days when Taylor Howden was like the oldest guy on the field going all 80 minutes? That's when <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's when thing, things were much more yes. simple in NOLA. But uh, yeah, no, um, I, I like what John was saying um, in terms of when Toronto is in a rhythm uh, and they're able to operate their system, you know, uh, with a certain degree of fluidity, they're great. And um, I think, you know, whether or not they win or lose, I think directly correlates to how much Gaston Mirez touches the ball because um, he, he tends to be a, a pretty big threat. Um, when they're able to get the ball to the outside. Unfortunately, there's been teams this year that are just able to disrupt that rhythm. They're able to slow down that line speed. And if Toronto ends up having to play a lot more reactionary rugby as opposed to sticking uh, inside of their game plan, um, they, 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 have, they, they have some really good guys uh, on the outside who can definitely pick, uh, pick up the speed. I think the return of Sam Malcolm is going to do wonders um, you know, there in terms of directing their traffic. This team definitely isn't Utah that can just pick it up in the second half, um, you know, and, and put a game away. I think this is one of those teams that tends to get tired. Whether or not uh, the time that they've spent away from home in Atlanta has anything to do with that this season, you know, 
who, who knows that, that that's definitely not the most favorable um you know of, of situations toronto was able to to come away with a um with a territory advantage 50, 55% to 45% um with a little bit of an edge in possession at 51 uh to 49 um you know but both teams with two tries apiece but i think you know where where nola kind of capitalized in this game um, was it was taking the was taking the opportunities that they were given inside of Toronto territory? They were able to get a few conversions, and I think that is what um, you know eventually made the difference in terms of that mindset at the end of the game of you know let's put this put this away as as opposed to you know we we got to make a comeback. Um, Nola is one of those teams too that has consistently been in like the middle of the pack, teetering on you know on, on the top uh, of their division. They unfortunately they they failed to make the playoffs in the last you know ever um despite the fact that they've kind of been knocking on the door of it time again uh this, this is a talented team that kind of like toronto though sometimes falls apart at certain points in games you don't exactly understand why because you know they they do have that island of misfit toys mentality but for a lot of the, the, their games they seem to be operating you know pretty efficiently they seem to be getting really good splash plays as well it's it, it it all comes down to capitalizing on the opportunities that you're given. And I think in this one, Nola just kind of edged out Toronto uh, in that category. And you know what? They're that much closer in the East. It's going to really depend on uh, how New England, uh, you know, fares against them uh, at Union Point uh, at where they're currently undefeated. Yeah, I, I gave Nola the best compliment I ever gave Nola earlier. was like, I've never seen a team give less of a shit in the best <laughs> way possible. Like... I was like, they just don't care. Like, I can't – I off the top of my head, I can't remember what game it was. It was an Eastern game, but, like, they would – perfect, beautiful plays, drive it down, like, inside the 22, turnover. Then then kick back, and they'd score off, like, the third phase on a broken play. And it's just like, no, nah, we don't care. We'll just score whenever we want. Whenever something pops up, we'll be there. And I'm like, How, good for you guys, man. Why, why does that feel like that describes the Utah game? <laughs> well, we've we've been like that for four years. So, <laughs> if any game anybody plays Houston, dude, it's just like we can score whenever we want, man. <laughs> it it <laughs> appears the scrum half has cracked a beer. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, speaking of that. <laughs> well, Liam, speaking of Houston, talk about let's talk about Houston and Atlanta. Yeah, I'm almost all out of my Baileys and hot chocolate, though, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, what what am I talking about? Houston right now? Yes. All right. So, final score from uh, from Aviva Stadium, 33 to – or was it at Aviva or was it in Atlanta? It was in Atlanta. All right. Yeah, so final score from Life University, 33 to 15. Uh, Atlanta ended the game with 21 unanswered points. Uh, here's the thing though. So you, you look at that final scoreline and no, it does tell a large part of the story. Houston absolutely collapsed in the second half in this one. Um, but going into halftime and pretty, um, you know, like the first like 10 minutes of the second half, Houston was leading this one, 15 points to 12. And I'm sure you're both going to be very shocked to hear that all 15 of those points were scored by Sam Windsor. Um, yeah, big shocker. Uh, but at the end of the day, Houston only ended this one with uh, 38% uh, of territory. They were um, but with 51% of pos- uh, possession. Um, but mainly that's because Houston all season long has had a really big issue with working out of their own territory. They really weren't able to get a whole lot of consistent movement on offense. Um, and that 
in, 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 uh, whereas in turn, Atlanta was able to use their kicking game pretty well because they were dominating in the set piece, especially in the second half. You had guys um, like like Ross Deacon, uh, who, who got two tries on the night, both out of the mall. Um, he was also pretty impressive in the scrum and working the middle of the field, um, just battering uh, Houston. Um, this, this is one of those games that Houston, they every week I feel like there are spaces of the game where they look impressive, where there's some cool tight window passing, where they have guys um, like Dakoe uh, like Suva, like who are battering and, and, and running over guys. It just it it all falls apart. There's nothing consistent about the way this team has been playing all season, and I'm not going to say this was just kind of a a take it easy game for Atlanta because they were definitely playing hard, especially being down uh, in the first half. But I think they were kind of expecting that this team was going to you know take its foot off the pedal come come the second half, and Atlanta has the pieces both uh, you know both both starting and coming off the bench to uh, put a team away. Uh, yeah, no, it, it it's not a pretty end of the season uh, for Houston, especially after winning their first game, you know, of the season, thinking, oh, we might actually have some hope, you know, in our nice new shiny stadium. Uh, yeah, I, I, and I, I say this every week. I love so many of the guys who are playing for Houston. I think it's a really talented team, but they're going on their third kind of fourth coach now in four years. Um, come on, Paul Emrick, man, just hire the man. I <laughs> Uh, I might be a little biased as one's roommates with Paul Emmerich, but <laughs> still. <laughs> but you, you got pick someone, pick someone and stick with them. This whatever this idea was. Sorry, Josh, I don't mean to cut you off, but like, I and I only say this is same thing. I have close friends on that team, like good buddies. Like, so it's hard when I just rip them constantly. But I'm like, you have no culture. Like, you want to talk about the, the these organizations that have built culture? You're talking an, an original six team. You can't tell me they have a culture down there. I don't care if they get along with each other. I don't know what the locker room's like. There isn't shit for culture for that team. It doesn't exist. And you can't tell me it does. with four losing seasons, never making the playoffs, there's no culture down there. Especially and how can with you do great that? Fa- great facilities, their own stuff. The best facilities. Like, yeah. Who has better facilities than them? Their own stuff. No one else, everyone else shares. But I'm like, Pick a coach, stick with them, let them suck. I was like, I understand. Justin Fitzpatrick is a difficult human being to work with and get along with and deal with on a daily basis. Fitzy is Fitzy. He is a unique personality. But there was no more feared scrum in the history of the MLR than that year one Houston. Think about that. Year one, there has still never been a scrum more feared than that year one Houston. Yeah. Nobody. Everyone's that, that, been that, that that year two that year two team was pretty good. I'm pretty sure it was um it, it was Same Jamie, guy. Same guy. It, it, yeah, it was Jamie, Lindsay, and Charlie, I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah. Basically yeah. the same front row. I think the hooker was new. And then but regardless, yeah, the, that year one, year two, that scrum they built, n- there's been no other scrum like where you just basically were holding on. It was like, I remember, I look back, it was like when we were scrumming against like the Georgians and Romanians at the international level, and you're like, boys, let's just survive this bad boy. Like, let's get the ball out and get the hell away from these guys. That's what you did when you went into against the scrum in that year one, year two, Houston. You're just like, whew, okay, this is ours. Kick, hook the ball more violently than you've ever hooked a ball in your life. And let's just get the hell out of here and play. And if it's their ball, 
do we have extra cleats that we can dig into the ground? Like, what do we got? Can I put some on my hands? And I was like, <laughs> but ever, but since then it's just like, oh, it's just Houston. Like, you know. Well, hey, we, we saw we did see a little bit of that in this Atlanta game. You know, they dominated the scrum for the first 60 minutes until Atlanta brought Manasa Sala on, but you know, and then uh corrected Nicholas Silvera's uh, scrum technique. Well, which is – but then it's wild, too, is they get dominated in the mall by Atlanta. Yeah. I'm like, how do you just get – how do you punk someone in the scrum and then get punked in the mall? I'm like, where are we the, missing? The, the mall defense was just lazy, though, against Atlanta. They, they, would, they, would, you know, they would commit, like, the entire line-out pod into it, but then guys would just kind of be breaking off, leaving, like, these A and B gaps open for, uh, for Atlanta to take advantage of. And I don't know, Atlanta just kind of got the burst on it like and put Houston on their back foot pretty darn quickly every single time. That's what got Ross. There was no there was no engagement. It was just like you said, there's no engagement. The the jumping pod standing there, but I'm telling you right now as a jumper, you're doing literally zero. If you're in the air against the mall, you're doing zero besides trying to weave your way through, which now you really can't even do anymore because you can't swim past people. But like they just stand there and like try to push to one side and Atlanta would just be like, okay, bye. And they were just on their bike, just cheering right through them. As you see, like my favorite thing on film is to point out the guy with his arms wide doing this towards the mall. Like, oh, I was going to go in, but maybe they were going to peel off. Like, no, get in the mall. But I'm tired. Hey, John, let me ask you this. I think it was mentioned on this broadcast and one of the other ones, you know, Houston's out. They're not making the playoffs, and I think it was brought up. You know, why don't you guys go for the corner? Like, what do you think's going through Sam's mind when he's like, I'm I don't, just going to kick sticks? I don't know. See, that one I think is a little – that one can be over-talked about, like, in an analytical way, like, compared to when you're in a game. Mm-hmm. Um there, there could be some conversations leading up, like, listen, we're just we're going for the corner every time. We're only going for tries. If those conversations aren't had, if you're in a game, you're you're still just thinking like you're in a game. Like, no, okay, we're at this point. Maybe, maybe you're not feeling it. Even if you gain a penalty and you're just like, you kind of look around and the boys are like, no, nah, let's kick a penalty and, and regroup. Sometimes that's the best option because I think there's, there's well, also you know, something there's, to be said. Sorry, but I was, I was gonna say, there's also something to be there's said. There's a billion like, different factors. Yeah, but like, so, so it's like, you know, though Luke Beauchamp is the captain of, um, of the Houston Sabercats, Sam is still a very strong, you know, leadership voice, like, on that squad. So I think it's one of those oh, things when Sam's oh. like, you know, we, we should go for sticks, you know. Crocky, mate, I guess we should, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Where's <laughs> Australian <laughs> it's funny i remember this one conversation i had with sam windsor when i was down in houston and i was like sam when you're in australia do you just like see kangaroos like chilling i was like are, are they only out in the outback so like him and luke Bosham had to explain to me they're like no they're they're freaking around man yeah yeah getting used to taking orders from somebody in australian accent was also a thing to overcome <laughs> No, Josh, like back to back to your question, like I don't know, because I have people ask me that too if I'm sitting watching a game and they're like, why wouldn't you go to the corner? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. Like 
especially if Luke looks a forward, like if Luke looks around at the forward pack and the boys are like, dude, I, we're not mauling this shit in. Just kick a penalty. Let's reset. Then you're kicking a penalty. Like I've done that many times as a captain where you just like, you get up from a penalty and you're like, whew, no, three points. <laughs> Let's get a breath. Let's go do this again. Like, yeah, we earned a penalty, but it, it's just not the moment. And then you could have a moment where you're like, the boys are buzzing. Like, nope. Put it in the corner. We're going to drive this mall right down their throat. And if we don't get that, we're still going to pick and drive right down their throat. These dudes can't stop us. Same game, same team. These things happen. Like, this is the things, like, that you got to explain with rugby, right? Like, same game, same team. Both those decisions are made. So, I don't know. And, like, I don't even know. Like, to me, it's a, it's a weird concept that you're even playing for a coach who's, like, already fired and, like, yeah, like just send it to the corner and let's play. But it's like, all right, if you're not in the right, if you're not in the right mindset, you just got a turnover now. He came away with nothing. They boot it back 60 meters, and it's just like, oh, well, that sucked. And the and the momentum and morale dips even further than like a quick three point reset. Let's go. We're feeling good. Fair enough. All right, moving on to the replacement Giltinis and the Legion, John. <laughs> Thank you. This was this part of this li- almost leads into my same point with Toronto. One thing I want to make this very known: I believe this LA attack has been caught up to by the rest of the league. I think we saw a team that walked into a tournament with a starting level because of the quality of player they brought in, with a starting level that was just higher than everyone else, right? And I'll also say. The oh, can I put this cleverly? I don't know if I might. The Gitto teenies and the Gill teenies are two very, very different teams. The Gitto team, the Gitto teenies and the Gill teenies are very different teams. Let's make that abundantly clear because I think we've seen it. Someone correct me if I'm, I want to say we've seen it three times and for sure two, counting the New York loss and this game. That attack without Magito is night and day. And that is mostly a compliment to the level of player that Magito is. But I'm like, there's when he's not out there, man, I was like, they're just kind of another MLR team with a couple studs. Because it's not as crisp, it's not as scary, it's not this weird, like, you don't see defenses just, like, looking around, like, where are we going? Like, how do we set up? It's just kind of like, okay, you know, Gus is a freaking stud, let's make sure we stop him. Between uh, Meeks and AAC, if we kind of if we kind of throw them off, like, oh, all right, we'll, we'll be okay, you know, but, yeah, that – they came away with the win, don't get me wrong. Again, they're playing against a San Diego team that's on the Western version of NOLA of mismatched toys and injuries and just their that whole beginning half of the season, I'm like, what I don't know if we have enough time on the podcast to be like, what were you guys doing? How did the other Cal how did the other California team playing in the LA Coliseum and SoFi and you guys are out at a park in Vegas and 
some other place just begging for scraps to find a field to play at. I'm like, what guys, what are, what is happening? <laughs> and one of the one of those teams is an original team, and one of those teams is a newbie. You better- <laughs> Yeah, no, and so uh, going off John's point that people have really started to figure out this L.A. attack, which is just, you know, bother them at the breakdown, you know, don't just contest at the ruck, actually try to turn it over on a ruck-by-ruck basis, because once you get, yeah, once you get them playing reactionary, I I said this about Toronto, once you get them out of playing um, their their system into more reactionary rugby, that's where they still, they get a little bit discombobulated, you can start to take advantage of uh, of their mistakes. I'm pretty sure right now LA is averaging 11.2 penalties uh, per, per game this season, which is just about on the season average. Um, I was doing the math earlier today. It's like 11.5, 12 penalties per game. So it's not like they're, they right. they don't give their, their opponents opportunities to take advantage of. Um, you know, but, so I, I will say, though, LA, even without uh, Aguito, they're still a good team, you know, and even though people have figured out their system, but it's whether or not you can stop their system when it's, you know, when it's operating efficiently um, is the big thing. So we, we've seen we've seen New York do that. We've seen Atlanta uh, be able to do that. But New York and Atlanta both have, you know, pretty strong rosters that have been consistent uh, with guys who have now been together. So they know how to operate. Um, against one another, as opposed to you know some of these teams like San Diego, Seattle, um, you know who have been in, a, in in a state of flux all season, who who can't necessarily uh, who don't necessarily have the like you know the the rapport with each other that take advantage of those LA mistakes when they do come. Um, so yeah, LA L, L, LA is going to be running the West uh, this season. Whether or not they host the Shield, though, I think that's going to be a big question because if New York and Atlanta are the uh, are the are the one and two seed um, out in the East, both those teams have defeated LA. They've both figured out the formula. Um, right. Although, granted, I believe Atlanta beat them without Adam or uh, Gito, though. Yes. Yeah. Both of their losses have came missing one of those two players. Yeah. So. so. But you're also – it's more so to the fact you're not seeing the same score lines. I mean, they put it on uh, – who did they play before San Diego? I know they put Houston, it on – Wasn't it Houston? Bad. It was Houston. Oh, yeah, they, they put it Yeah, the they put it on Houston, but, like, let's asterisk that, right? That's like, okay, you beat the Browns, but move <laughs> on. Like, we're not well, adding now, that now, to, like – Now the, it's the Jets, dude. I, I think the Browns have earned a little respect the last couple seasons. Okay, you beat the proverbial Detroit Lions, but like <laughs> we got to take this in. I'm just saying the people are catching up. They were miles. Ahead. Like I remember, I can still, I still remember sitting in my living room the first time watching the New England game, and there was like the it was the second or third try, and he just passed it from the scrum, and you just saw six of them standing there by themselves just walking to the try line with not a single person on New England out there to defend them. And I was just like, oh, oh, no. Oh, what, what happened? <laughs> what are we in for? And I, I assumed no matter what, there is going to catch up. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be all this. Um, and I think, it, I think it's good for the league. It's better for the league that teams are catching up. I, I don't think anyone really wanted to sit there, especially – I'll be the first to admit an egotistical born and bred American rugby player wanted to sit there and watch, you know, the Wallabies retirement team just wax through the entire league, 50 point games week after week. And you're just like, 
okay, this this is cool, like sweet. And I was the like, so I, I like seeing it. I mean, I talk, I, yeah, it's, yeah, the Wallabies <laughs> Old Boys Club out there on the beach in LA. Like, no one wanted to see them on their retirement vacation social media frenzy just wax through the league 40 point bombs every week. So it's like, it's nice to see them be like, oh, okay, it's just, it's a team with really good players, but there's a formula to beat them. And I, I've always been a proponent of that style, though. You saw like what England did to New Zealand in the World Cup. And then vice versa, what South Africa did to them. What like Ireland did to New Zealand when it was the huge upset. It was just that go at them, be a ruckus, be a just nuisance every time. I've hardly ever seen the whole like nobody, unless you were like on paper the better team, like man for man, like your Madden rating is higher than every single person you're playing against. The whole like, no, we don't contest rucks. Let's just have 13 guys on our feet every time. I I don't know. I've never been a fan. Not not in like a peer for peer game. Let me let me ask you two quick questions and then we'll we'll move on to the to the last game, John. Um, we got to give credit to Billy Meeks. You know, hopping in as flanker from the center position. <laughs> what like what happened? What do you what do you as a forward think of the, in that situation? Well, it was funny to me because it's never a center, which I used to always say, it, you should put the 12 there, not the wing. Like, especially unless it's unless it's your scrum and maybe you really want to set some attacking thing. But, like, put the 12 there. At least he's probably got some meat. But, like, if he's, like, an old school 12, you know what I mean? Like, at least he's probably got some meat behind him. Like, Make this and then make his him go chase the other twelve who's about to run a crash line. So then they're just tackling each other anyways. It's basically samesies. And if they go wide, you know you live to fight another day. But no, I used to joke about that all the time. I was like, we would. Uh, he, I was like, put Paul at flanker. He's the same. He's bigger than our flankers. Get him over here in the scrum. What are we putting? What are we putting uh, Nato in the scrum for? <laughs> All right, this this is probably a question we could have saved to the end, but you know I'm going to ask it now anyway. Would you come out of retirement or for any team for one game if you could play in the Coliseum? Well, I would ask. Well, I'd ask this. I would because we can make jokes at the end that I have been speaking to a team about finishing off the season with them as they become very desperate while losing many of their international players. Um, probably not going to happen, but the, the conversations were had. So if there are any teams listening, I would happily come out of retirement for the right deal. I'll asterisk this. I don't want this to sound like kind of arrogant. I would, but not to play at the Coliseum because I've played at the Coliseum. Played against USC in college at the Coliseum. So... Maybe I'd put Allegiant higher than that because that stadium seems crazy. The Vegas one. Yeah. Or right, I'll give a cool one. If we ever played a rugby game at Lambeau, I would come out of retirement. Oh my god, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I'd, play, I'd come out of retirement to play a rugby game at Lambeau. Not the Coliseum. 
I lost to SC in college at the Coliseum, so I don't, give, I don't want to go back there. Um, and I'm an LA guy, so like, and I was a UCLA fan, so the call, I don't like the Coliseum just as an entity, period. But Lambeau Field, ooh, I'll sell my soul to come out of retirement for Lambeau Field. Snowball or no snowball? No, no snow. What is no? Like maybe a, maybe a slight a slight brisk fall day. Laugh in New England. Hey, I had to ask. I had to a, ask. Fif- a good fifty three degrees overcast. Just the perfect rugby weather that's ever existed. Uh, All right, Liam. Let's get let's get to our last one. Then we'll get to previews. All right, Austin and Seattle. So Austin got the victory over Seattle, and don't let the scoreline fool you. Uh, Austin really controlled this game mostly from the get-go. Although there was, um, you know, there, there was definitely some uh, some great uh, instances by Seattle. Um, you know, you gotta 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 give it up for Footy in this one. Um, two tries or three tries actually on the day, dude. He got the hat trick. Um, so in terms of possession, um, Seattle controlled that one actually, sixty-six percent. Uh, to 34% from Austin, 55% in the territory, to 45% from Austin. The only difference is, though, is Austin uh, very early on was using those opportunities at possession and at Tory, in that territory to put up points. Whereas Seattle, uh, you know, only only five penalties in this one, but a lot of those, unfortunately, those five penalties came in some pretty crucial moments when they were uh, actually looking at the potential for points. Um, I thought. I thought Austin was moving the ball a lot better in this one than, than we've seen previously, but I think the Seattle defense has kind of degraded as, as, as the season has gone on, even though their offense has gotten a little bit more aggressive, which is why I think they're hanging in, hanging in games a little bit more. But the fact that they're losing is because that defense tends to, you know, go down a shoot uh, later in games. Um, in, in terms of... In terms of, of Austin's chances at making the playoffs... They're definitely a, a dangerous team. I don't think any team looks forward to playing them because they're they know they're they're obviously like you know uh, picking up the wins this season. I'm just seeing a lot of instances in which better teams are taking advantage uh, are taking advantage of their mistakes. Fifteen penalties um, in, in in just a single game, and if Seattle had been able to come away with just a few bit uh, a bit more you know penalty conversions, uh, even if those penalties have been committed you know inside of their own territory. It might have been a very different story um, towards the end of the game, uh, but you know, f- four tries apiece for this team, and I think Austin, um, you know, had a little bit more luck on the sticks than, than Seattle, just barely. And kind of, kind of like uh, New England's victory over Seattle, I think this should have been a little bit more of a commanding uh, scoreline, but it just kind of shows that both Austin and New England are good teams. They're just not necessarily not necessarily playoff quality. They're just kind of beating lesser teams. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I don't. I, I hate to knock Seattle too much because I think they're they definitely are an organization that's doing well building culture and you know developing younger players. Um, but definitely not going to be uh definitely failed mission three Pete uh for the for the shield this time around. I'm certain a lot of I'm certain a lot of fans feel that way. Yeah. Hey, coming from a former Seattle Saracen. <laughs> hey, but you know, actually, um, I think Seattle shot themselves in the foot more than Austin won this one. You know, they had Yamada try to be AJ McGinty for the first try of the game, and then you had Frank Halai, old Frank the Tank, with the runaway try. Like, 
I didn't, I, oh, that, yeah. that, that was my favorite part of the match, man. I felt like I could feel the earth shaking from outside of my TV. That, that was imagine, awesome. you, imagine you take those two dummy plays away. We're talking about a completely different rugby game, potentially. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, but I just I, I don't know like and, and but but like I said I I think the scoreline just doesn't say how much Austin really kind of dominated this first half and I think Seattle kind of came through in the second um but it, it's again like like we've been talking about when you're playing from up behind there's a little bit more of a sense of urgency it's just whether or not you can finish it off and I think Austin did just enough to kind of keep their heads above water in this one. Well, hey Josh, I'll circle back to your other question, right? I think what you're asking about Houston, why not go for the corner? Always go for the win. I think you saw that with uh, Seattle to me, watching them, they played desperate. That was a desperate team trying for anything and everything to happen or go their way that game. And right. Take it from a guy who's played on a team. Like you live by the sword, die by the sword. Right. Like that was probably the Utah code for the first three years. Just live by the sword, die by the sword. And that's what Seattle looked like last week to me. And it was just like, you, there's just things like when you see someone like reaching through with two hands like this to like try to throw offloads and like their hands aren't clear, but they're just trying to do something. It's just straight desperate. Like, and maybe it's coming from a good place. I'm not in the Seattle locker room. I've heard some, Heard some rumblings and some things that not everything's copacetic up there, but maybe it's coming from a good place. And it's just like, we're just going to do every single thing, every play to win. But it's like now switching to a semi coaching brain that I'm in, like that's, I mean, that's never coached, never like you sit and listen to the greats. And I've been doing way too much YouTube listening of like great coaches recently to trying to absorb. Like, never once do you hear them come out of their mouths that we want to play desperate. There's like a hungry and passion and de- urgency, like yeah. urgency, deliberate, sit like all these things. It's like very rarely outside of like within the confines of your structure do you want desperation. Because it's that's the 50-50, right? We heard 50-50 since we were 12 years old. It's that's when all that stuff starts coming in, and you're just hoping something will go right. You're not manipulating a defender or a defensive line or something to make something go, make an offload go right. You're hoping this offload goes right. Nine times out of ten, the rugby gods are not gonna give you what you ask for. If you manipulate, give a man advantage, put pressure, 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 use footwork, hit the space, find a gap, you know, the rugby gods make it happen. That's why the behind the back flip behind the dude works. But when it's desperate, it's it's not going to work. And that's kind of what Seattle looked like. And, you know, at this point in the season, right, it's two sides of the same coin. Like, well, who cares? We're, we're just we're just gonna fight for eighty minutes. Whatever goes wrong, like if they're picking each other up, like they don't care. We're just gonna keep slinging the ball around and just play and go and fight. Hey, if that's what they're holding on and they're gonna build into that for the next season, could be a good thing. But if it's just like oh, chuck it around, hope something good happens, it's like well, then you're just starting from zero next year when this guy takes over full time. 
No, it, it's funny when people talk about discipline, they mainly think about, you know, are, are you committing penalties? But that's definitely an aspect of discipline, whether or not, you know, you have that presence of mind just to try to fling it, uh, you know, behind your back or whether or not you're, the, you know, you, you're disciplined enough to trust your teammates to go down, go into the ruck and keep it moving. Um, right. And I think that I think that's a big difference you see between American rugby and the higher leagues, like you know, even like the minor tens and like in the, the leagues over in Europe, is that players do have that presence of mind, that discipline, just to keep the ball moving, you know, how it's supposed to, as opposed to just saying, "Oh, fuck it." <laughs> All right. Well, but that is a, and that's the thing when you kind of sit and you talk with young players, and even I, I guess older players, but with a with a lower level of lower playing level of experience and you try to teach them you're like okay sit and these offloads this cool stuff you're watching in Aotearoa and even in um uh the super rugby australia and in the prem this is not just coming from a i'm just gonna flick it up and hope it happens like there's methods that they've got to this like mind you yes Maybe once a game or once a weekend, there's going to be something that dude is running out of bounds, flipped it back. But I still, I can promise you that came from knowing he had four guys in support at all times. He maybe didn't know where that ball was going. 100% he didn't. 100%. But he knew the guy, someone with his jersey was coming in support instead of just the desperation. And that's like, that's kind of these weird nuances of the games that we're, we're bringing American rugby to, which is awesome. And you got, you, I mean, you gotta, you gotta go through the wounds that come with that, but that's kind of the difference when you sit there and watch, it's like these brilliant, amazing looking plays are just simple skills done perfectly at all times of the game, whether you have seven seconds to make a pass or 0.7 seconds to make a pass. It's still just a pass, right? It's just because they've worked on a skill or they've done it a million times in training. It's not just because Owen Farrell is just better at uh, better built as a human being at better passing than everyone else in the world. I was like, no, he stood there at practice and did this stupid passing drill a million times when everyone else didn't and went and had beers. Granted, I think the rugby gods definitely smiled in the delivery room as, as he was coming into this world. So, <laughs> yeah, or or his dad, or they had some horrible days, and old Andy did not allow him to be bad at anything. But <laughs> it still came from hard. I promise you, Owen Farrell still came from hard work. No, for uh, sure, for sure. Let's let's move on to so some quick previews. You know, we've gone a while just talking about stuff, but hey, it's it's great. I love it. I love it. I know Corey probably won't, but, you know. Hey, hey, hey tell, hey, tell Hi, Aaron we're breaking his hour rule today. I'm on the show. There's no rules. <laughs> All right. So first – hour rule, dude, have you ever seen you – You guys have anything, anything bad about this episode, you just blame it on me being here. You guys – this is perfect. No, no, you're fine. We'll blame it on Aaron not being here. <laughs> it's always easier. Even better. <laughs> Hey, so first up, you know, um, first up, we got New York at Toronto. Uh, this one will be at Life University. Um, I believe this got moved from Sunday to Saturday to allow Toronto to ha still have their internationals before they, you know, ship off to to Europe. 
uh, 4.30 Eastern. Uh, who you guys got? So right now, uh, New York is looking at trying to secure either the two or the one seed in the East, while Toronto pretty much out of the playoff race at this point. I'm not sure if it's officially, you know, official mathematically, but I, I think it's pretty safe to say it's not ha- happening. Um, so, so far on the season, uh, New York is averaging t- of 27, uh, 27 points and some change per game, while Toronto is only averaging about 25.8. New York giving up about 26, uh, Toronto giving up about tw- uh, 25 um, uh, points a game. So not too far away in terms of the scoring, uh, but I think, you know, we, we've been talking about this uh, today. I think uh, there's aspects of, um, you know, that, that, that are out there have how to shut down the Toronto attack. Just like LA, you have to disrupt them um, at the breakdown. You have to throw them out of their rhythm. And I think New York is the kind of physical team, um, you know, with this shot at getting the one seed and home field advantage in the playoffs, um, that they're going to be playing with that sense of urgency as if they're Utah playing, you know, from behind. Um, you know, it, it just, it just uh, when you're looking at the penalties, though, New York is aver- averaging a whole two more penalties per game, 12.5 compared to Toronto's 10.4. So, um, if Toronto can take, you know, can, can force the mistakes on New York, take advantage of that, maybe force a close game, they could play spoiler. Um, not saying they're going to knock New York out of the playoffs, but if they can knock them out of that number one seed, then yeah, that 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 that'll be a victory in itself towards the uh, towards the end of the season. Yeah, I'm I'm taking New York. I think it's going to be personal. I think they got embarrassed at home the last time these two met, and I think we're looking at two different teams now. Josh, will New York have their their internationals? Does yes, everyone I'm, leave the same time? Because what are the, the dates of the, the tests are the same, right? Yeah, I believe the twenty seventh is when they all leave. So it's it's literally the day before. It's like, is this a cop out? Can I asterisk my pick? If New York has their full team, then yes, they would. If uh, they decide to rest dudes or give them a day off and. Toronto has all their dudes and New York doesn't. Ooh, I might flip flop later in the week when I see the rosters. But right now, I'm taking New York in a revenge game. They got embarrassed by this team um, and have now had film and tape and time to see what it takes to win. Also, coming off a tough loss, which I think knowing knowing the, the guys and the type of the type of culture New York has as a team. I think they're going to bounce back from a tough loss in a game to prove a point with everything on the line. I, I take New York. I forgot to say, uh, I'm also taking New York in this one. I'm going to go New York minus five. Unconverted try. Hey, I've locked my picks into Super Brew already. So, you know, Ooh, I'm, I'm, ballsy. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the literally throwing darts on the wall here. I locked them in like two days ago. Um, I have New York by 12. You know, I, I agree with you, uh, John. You know, I think New York's probably, if, if they have their guys, they're one of the more, I don't want to say consistent teams, but, you know, they're one of more of the stronger teams. And, you know, you're right. It is a revenge game. They have that film. And that's where I, that's what I see happening. So I'm gonna say, I'll say 10. I'll say a try. And I'm going to say Luke gets a defensive penalty late. Because he deserves it with all the damn steals he gets. New York's going to take a penalty to ice the game off of uh, old Luke Poach Daddy Rumble penalty. Hey, man, there's only one Poach Daddy here. If I get that right, I want my own sponsorship. 
right, you second, can talk to Lucas Rumble about that. He is the post daddy. Second game of the weekend is the CBS Sports Game of the Week. Is Nola at New England? John, who you got? All right, so um, at this point in the playoff uh, pursuit, I'm not picking against my boys in New England, so I'm just going to say New England minus 100. They're going to blow Nola out. But anyway, <laughs> in, 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 all right, so in terms of the numbers that are based in reality, however, New England is currently averaging 25 points per game. Nola, 24.6. Uh, New England giving up 24.3 uh, points per game. Nola giving up 23.9. Uh, both about at about 50% territory uh, scrumming. NOLA at 95.8%. New England at a pretty league bottom 82.9%. Um, I've said this before on the show with modern... Their scrum retention? Yeah, that's their scrum. Yeah, their scrum win rate is 82.9. So think about this. In an era of rugby where you can pretty... With a scrum half can pretty much throw it through his own freaking side. They're, they're still not... They're still losing like twenty eight or like 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 eighteen percent of their freaking scrums of their push. Hey, they used to be a lot lower. It used to be at seventy eight. Yeah, it w- which is just freaking wild. And they're also averaging, uh, you know, uh, two more penalties per game um, compared to Nola. So you know, so they're giving they're giving more scrum opportunities away to to other teams when they're already worse in the scrum. And even when they get, um, you know, uh, penalties, they're literally losing their own put-ins. Um, granted, when New England is working off a good pl- a good platform from the set piece, whether it be the lineup or the scrum, and they can get it cleanly um, to like guys like a healthy returning Mitch Wilson, uh, get it out to the outside the Dougie Five, let Harrison Boyle actually do his thing. Um, you know, they're they're a great team. They're a dangerous, dangerously physical team. But again, kind of like the Austin Gilgronies, man. They I just don't see a whole lot of consistency week in week out with how effective their attack is, and I think. You know, some teams are a little bit more effective at disrupting their system than others. Um, even last, uh, the, or not last week, but two weeks ago, um, it took them a last-minute score to beat the uh, beat a Seattle team that up, up to that point had been really struggling. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're averaging more points. They're aver- they're they're giving up less points. But I think Nola is is much more dangerous in terms of moving the ball. And I think New England's going to have to um, have a really good defensive day, which they've been prone to do. They have some of the best red, red zone defense in the league. Um, but I think Nola is going to have a lot more success working out of their own territory and putting pressure on New England and putting them on their back foot. So that defense is going to have to come through. I think this is going to be a low scoring game. So realistically, I'm going to say New England by two. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah. I just don't see – I see Nola with the X-Factors. I don't even know who Cam those Dolan. X-Factors are. Cam, like Cam and Julian are the easy answer, but it's just like – it's just someone or something on Nola is going to happen, and I don't see that with New England. Like if, if Dougie's not feeling it or he gets shut down early, then the like dynamics of their t- attack gets slowed down. If Waka's not like jumping around early, then all that dynamic playmaking kind of gets settled in, and it, that's a wild on those that that score average. I would not have thought that they have been that close, but I'm still going with the East on the line and all that stuff to play for. I'm taking Nola with the X factor, and I'm going to go same thing. I'm going to go 
we're talking a three-point game. All right. So, but here, but here's one X factor. I think you know Starfire has been a little bit quiet uh, this season. I think Union Point has been the true 16th man in terms of of stadiums and fan fan bases so far this season. So far, five and zero at Union Point uh, for the New England Free Jacks. Some you know, and New England fans. Something tells me we're known to be a little bit rabid and loud. So, who knows that could come in handy. Well, what I what I said earlier in the show, Nola don't give a shit about nothing. They're taking <laughs> taking it. Hey, you know I, I'm going with Liam on this. I'm, li- I'm literally going with Liam on this. I'm taking New England by two. You know I I I'm giving I'm giving New I'm literally I'm giving New England that three point home advantage that everyone gives the home team. You know so. This was a neutral field. I would take Nola by one, but you know, I, I I do agree. I think Union Point's one of those one of those great places to play, and it's you know it's on the water. So, yeah, New England by two. Well, if my um, appreciation for Nola says anything, hint hint, wink wink. I'm rooting for them. <laughs> All right, next game up. You guys will both love this one. Is Utah at Houston? Yeah, something tells me Utah is going to win this game. All right, so just to run down the stats really quick, you guys can go off that. So far this season, Houston is averaging 17.6 points per game compared to Utah, 32 points a game. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Uh, Houston allowing 33.2 points per game, Utah 29. So a, a lot of points given up there by Utah, actually. Both uh, pretty average in terms of territory. Utah 54, Houston at 47. Houston, uh, again, like this this scrum has dive-bombed since year one. Uh, 86.9% compared to 93.3 for Utah. Houston, 11 penalties per game. Utah, only 9.5. I don't think a whole lot needs to be said. Utah's attack and defense is just so much more dynamic than Houston at this point. I think we, we, we can always count on... Uh, Houston to put up some entertaining phases, which, you know, for the fans is great, definitely. Um, but I think Utah is uh, is, is on a pretty good track uh, to get the number two seed in the West. And uh, like I've said a few times uh, already this episode, I, I think Austin's a good team, but I don't see them surpassing, you know, Utah's final win total, especially with this Houston game, um, you know, coming up on the schedule. So I'm going to go, yeah, Utah minus, yeah. minus 18. Ooh, I, I'm gonna no, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to analyze. Like, yeah, I believe Utah's. Gonna, I think Utah's gonna get a bonus point win, and when we get to the the other game, I do not think Austin is going to. And I think this week will extend that gap between two and three. Um, yeah, I will say for the uh, the viewership and the viewer standpoint, I think you will see some ridiculous tries in this game. You will see some wild tries because the Warriors, for everything they are, for the ever and ever and ever are going to pull off wild tries. It's just that that's just what they will do forever. It's just going to be a thing. But they are known and to have mental lapses and silly individual decision-making things which Houston will capitalize on, and they're going to score some wild ones too. So it probably won't be close. I'll, I'm going to get – I'll say two tries. I don't know, 18. I'll, I'll give 14. I'll say two fully converted tries. Um, 
but I, I could also foresee in the the high 40 to low 30 final scores on these games. So it'll be entertaining to watch, but yeah, the, uh, the Warriors, I think, are, are going to walk out with a bonus point victory. Let me remind everyone of the score of the when these teams first played each other. Utah won 50 to 43. So, right. Um, I think you're right, John. I think Houston will probably get their tries this game. And I think I agree with I'm going with the same pick as you as I did Liam last round. I'm taking Utah by 14. So, all right. So, that, so, so no upset this week, I guess. The, the, <laughs> not yet. I, I, I was actually looking at this last night. There's not a whole lot of potential upset games that I think are realistic at this point in the season. I oh, all right, all right. So, 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 so we'll talk about it. Um, DC and Atlanta. DC and Atlanta. All right. So, just to give you guys the numbers, um, DC. This is where we're starting to get with some of the teams that are a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, on on the wrong end of this spectrum. DC averaging about 25 points per game. Uh, Atlanta. Actually the same, 25.2 points per game. Only difference is that DC's giving up 30.8 points per game, and Atlanta's only giving up 19. So you can see where the disparity kind of becomes important there. Uh, Both at about 50% in territory, both um, at 90-plus percent in the scrum, um, and both are pretty even in terms of the league average uh, with uh, with 11 and 12 uh, penalties per game, respectively. So the numbers would almost suggest that they're even, but the reality of the situation is that uh, Atlanta, I think, is a lot more dynamic team. I think they're a lot. Um, I, I think I, I think they're more evenly balanced between offense and defense. Whereas I think DC has has uh, some has, has has a lot of success in the set piece. Um, you know, in the scrum, I don't think anybody likes facing them. Um, but it, they're 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 not a second half team. I think they're a very physical first half team that. Um, gives you a run for its money, but I think they're. Uh, I, I think Atlanta just has is going to have the pieces to put this one away um, pretty early in the second half. Um, especially, I think Atlanta is my favorite for one seed over New York. I don't know if you guys agree. But, so I'm going to say Atlanta minus six. I'm going to say a tired Atlanta versus a rested old glory. This will be my. Mm, Actually, this is a lot. But I'm going to take Old Glory. I don't know why. I don't have any logical explanation behind it. Just have a feeling Atlanta's a little tired. They're, you know, they all all of their games are just always physical. Like, I've never seen them win easy. <laughs> like, it always just looks like it sucks. And they just end up winning. So... DC off the bye, Atlanta a little tired. If this was at Old Glory, I'd be 10 times more confident. But I think they go down, and it's one of those games where you see Danny and Threaten and um, uh, Fullback. Oh, uh, DTS. Robert Robertson? No, DTS. Uh, DTS are buzzing and they ask some questions of Atlanta and get them on some one on some one-on-one matchups that go DC's way. I'm going to say DC with a five point win. So here's the funny thing. So DC beat Atlanta earlier this year without Robertson and without DTS. 
So, you know, the, the, right. that's something we got to consider. But there's also news out of Atlanta. They're, they activated Ryan Nell off the injured list a couple weeks ago, and they activated Kurt Coleman off the injured list today. So that's they yeah. got players, you know, players coming in. Um, you know, dude, it's, I, dude I, I love healthy rosters at the end of the season, dude. That's that that's what makes that's what makes playoff pushes genuinely entertaining. Be funny if they if they got Harley Davidson back next week. <laughs> no, he's still in the shop, dude. Yeah, no, he took a huge shot week one. But you know, I I I'm taking Atlanta by seven. You know, it's a whiteout, it's the last home game. Um it, more than likely it will probably be more, but you know, I think DC has a chance to hang in there with. All right, next up, the last game from the 26th, and this is on FS1. So, Austin at San Diego. All right. I think this is uh, going to be the makings of the Austin-New York game. Um, Two, San Diego's defense is – kind of finding itself somehow after kind of being non-existent. I was pretty – I was very vocal of my criticism of the San Diego forward pack early in the season. I mean, they just did not do the dirty work. We're not we're not on rucks. We're not defending. They weren't doing anything. I mean, it was, it was abysmal forward play. And they've kind of found their way and found an identity against an Austin team who's always been on defense and – sometimes finds their way on attack when things go right or more so when the other team makes a lot of mistakes that they capitalize on. I I don't necessarily see a lot of times that Austin is manipulating and affecting a defense so much to be a 30-point team. I think they are a stout defense and an advantageous attack where San Diego is – on paper, still an unbelievably talented team and are kind of finding their way. I think with everything on the line, though, I, I never get into this at Torero travel kind of nonsense. I'm like, you're a professional player. It doesn't matter. But I'm still going to take Austin, but I, I'm minus three. I'm, t- I'm thinking like a 13-10 game we end up here. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely agree that it's going to be a close game, but I think this might be my upset game, if you can, if you can call it an upset. Uh, right now, San Diego, they're averaging three more points per game um, o- over the AGs, 27 to 24 points. Um, the big disparity comes, though, with the, with the Gilgronis only average, um, allowing an average of 18 points per game compared to San Diego, who's lit, who's uh, who's averaging 28 points allowed to their opponents per game. So four whole converted tries. Uh, San Diego's also not doing great with territory, 45% on the season compared to 52 from Austin. Um, you know, a, is a that, long, I mean, I'd love to see, I would love to see the last three week stats. That would be my only argument. Cause I know if you take the whole season, then yeah, that looks bad. But if you could hone it in, that would be, that would be interesting. I love I love stats. Don't get me wrong, but I'm like, oh for sure. This kind of sure. last couple weeks, San Diego team has been a little. They just look like you watch them; they look different. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, and it, it, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Is that this San Diego team is starting to come together? I've been saying this, you know, all season that you know, individual. Indi- if you were looking at at them like a chessboard, they're you know they have oh. all the proper pieces. They have all the guys who can move anywhere they want on the field. 
but there was just this gelling that wasn't happening with the team early on in the season, and they're starting to come together. I'm, I am just so skeptical of this Austin team, especially when you watch their games and don't just look at the score lines. I think that San Diego might have the speed and the tenacity um, you know, to, to, to beat their defense. Um, to you know, to to pressure them, especially going with the ball out wide. I think there's going to be a lot of corner tries, so they're going to have to work hard uh, for Peterson to convert a lot of them, um, and that's going to be crucial. I think I I like because like I said, I think this is going to be a close game. I'm going to give it uh, San Diego minus two uh, on this one. Yeah, you know, it, it will never be seen two teams. Say, so well, never seen two teams I trust least than these two playing <laughs> each other for right. a spot in the West. Yeah, you know, it, it will definitely be close. I'm, I'm going to take Austin by one. You know, the travel, San Diego. I know you said don't take travel, but I was like, yeah, it's late. It's late at night. It's twelve o'clock there. No, it's nine o'clock their time. So it it will be it will be an interesting game. It's on FS1, so you know both teams will be off national TV. Yeah, I'm just, I'm I'm saying Austin stays in there with Utah. So Austin by one. And then final game of the weekend, the Gitonis Get- is <laughs> at the Seahawks. Gitoinis. This is how they invent names in Star Wars. All right. <laughs> oh, the Gitoinis are here to, to negotiate. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, guys, um, I, I want you guys to take a take a guess. How many points a game is LA averaging? Forty-three. No, points. it's got to be lower than that now because they've had some rough ones. I want to say 38 or 39, probably somewhere around with Utah. Oh, so wicked close, John. So uh, right now, uh, LA is averaging 36.3 points per game compared to uh, okay. uh, 19 from Seattle. So they're not even cracking 20. Meanwhile, um, LA is only averaging 18 points to their opponent. So that's... Uh, I mean, like, you know, I, I know you were kind of saying, like, with San Diego, oh, take a look at the last few weeks. Seattle has been below par this entire season, and, like, there's definitely been an uptick in intensity, like, in terms of their offense. But um, they're giving up 30.9 uh, points per game, and, and I don't see that um, changing, um, you know, especially going up against the LA, LA team that's decently healthy at the moment. Um, LA, I don't though, want to hear those damn seawall chants. For a whole season, you guys are stupid chant. If anyone, all my friends in Seattle, you hear this, 30-plus points a game you're giving up, you're banned from that stupid chant. Keep it to yourself. But So here's where Seattle's actually beating L.A. in the numbers. Uh, 93.2% for Seattle in the scrum, 87.6% for L.A. So this is where... Seattle might be able to get some advantage. They want to disrupt that 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 attacking platform for LA. Um, you know, especially right now, Seattle they're giving up eleven point three penalties uh, per game, which again is on league average. So if they can take away some of those free possessions that they give to LA, maybe they can. You know, uh, I'm not going to say have a chance in this game, but definitely ma- you know make it a little bit more close and entertaining. Um, still, though, I, I think they'll take a swing. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say yeah. LA minus ten on this one. I don't think it's gonna be a blowout, blowout, but I don't think it's gonna be much less than business as usual. No, they'll take a swing. I, the, same thing. I think they're gonna come with the same mindset. We're gonna we're gonna play to ruin someone else's season, or what? You know, we're just gonna be spoilers, or 
whatever pride they take in being at Starfire or whatever it is. Um, again, I, I, I want to say, though, this is one where I want to see the roster. Like, I want to see who's – like, what were the – also – Again, we can. It's a whole other show to get into the my complaints with the league. So, what are these injuries? Were they ever talked about? I didn't hear any of the broadcasters bring it up. It was never put into the like. You know, you look at every other thing. You know, when someone stubbed their toe at practice because it has to be given to the media. I'm not saying it would be that crazy with rugby. I'm like, what are these injuries? Like, who's out? Who's out? How long are they out? I remember when I worked for uh, for the Houston and for the New England teams, we were definitely discouraged from talking about injuries whatsoever in any form on social media, in reports, or anything like that. Um, especially when well, I, if it ain't mandatory, yeah, you better keep your mouth shut. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. again, like I, I, I love I loved Justin Fitzpatrick personally. Like you're absolutely right. Like hard guy to get along with. Like for a lot of people, but me and him had a great relationship. He absolutely would be lo- looking over all of my reports just to make sure there was no accidental leaks or anything like that of the nature. And there was always corrections, always stuff that had to be omitted. Oh, bro. If it's not mandatory, like you think any of any of our professional sports would let anyone know anything if it wasn't these mandatory to the media nonsense that has come through these years of, of pro sports. But, oh, dude, this one's – I don't know why. I don't know why. It's my love, my deep-seated love, and my friendly hatred for the entire Seattle franchise and the still multiple, multiple former teammates and close, close friends and two and a half former roommates that are still playing on that team that I love, love with all my heart to see them fail. (laughs) But they're still my friends, and I want them to do well. I, I would love to see the lineup because, again, the Gitoless Giltinis against an invigorated, motivated Seattle side, Seattle's going to take a swing. I still don't think they get the victory, but they take a swing at Starfire with the, their fake loud fans because they have an overhang above a turf field, but I digress. Um, I want to see the lineup. Regardless, I'm probably still going to take L.A. I'm probably with you. I'm going to say like a nine that maybe, depending on lineup, I'll give you an 11 or a nine. Gitto puts you double digits. No, Gitto puts you single digits on the win. Just kind of like That's San it. Diego. And yeah, I think Seattle takes a swing. I don't think they walk in or walk out with an easy victory, but – yeah, whatever's going on up there, it's not going to get fixed in the next three weeks. And yeah, no, I again throwing darts at the wall here. I'm, I'm just going to say my pick first before I talk. I'm taking LA by 16. And then <laughs> you're right. I probably should have waited for the roster. And then as we were talking, I kept thinking, you know where LA struggled the most? Turf fields. <laughs> they lost to New York on a turf field. They lost in Atlanta on a turf field and outside of Utah in SoFi. They they haven't done well on turf fields. So, I wouldn't even have noticed that myself. But well, New York's, New York's a turf field too, right? Yeah, the Cochran, yeah. the baseball field, that was turf. Yeah. So, you know, 
Yeah, very narrow field, mind you. Seattle's a skosh narrow. That helps the Seawolves. We're closing in on 90 minutes, so we'll keep questions short. We have one from Twitter, and then I have one based on news that came out, I believe it was this morning, uh, about rugby laws. So we'll we'll get your opinion on those. Um, First question. Thoughts on playoff expansion? Like, do you like the one-two seed, or do you want to go with like their plan from last year? You know, first seed gets a bye, two-three play each other. Uh, I personally, uh, I like the, the one-two. By all means, John. See, I, I I like the one-two with where we're at with the league right now. I mean, until we're at, you know. Perfect world, perfect life, six-figure salaries, 30-plus teams, and, you know, we're going on the NFL. If we're going off the NFL or NHL, even the NHL model, you know what I mean? I, I kind of like the one, too, because it's it's almost like the, the, the beauty days of, like, college football, where every single game you played mattered. If you dropped a game or slipped up on a bonus point and – or someone got even like one more bonus point loss than you did because they battled till the end, and that can make a difference by the end of the season on a on a one or two seed. The competitor in me, I kind of love that. All right, so I'm I'm gonna disagree. I'm I, I think the expanded uh, idea is a lot is a lot better, but that's only because. You look at a division like the West where the one and two, you know, I mean, you know, granted, I guess Utah and Austin are kind of battling for it. But I, I feel like the one and two are pretty set at this point where it's going to be LA, LA and Utah. Um, whereas, you know, the East might be a little bit more competitive, but I feel like it, it creates situations in which there's going to be two top of the table teams. And like, you know, a lot of the, the other games just aren't going to matter. There's not going to be a whole lot of investment in terms of watching them. Whereas I think if you have that three seed, you know, you can be a middle of the pack team that fights, you know, late in the season for a playoff spot. And I think that creates a lot more entertaining, watchable rugby, especially as playoff pushes become more important. I think the I think the more teams that have a realistic shot at the playoffs, the lot more, you know, game by game investment that there is for that many more fan bases. All right. And then based I I, I can agree with you on that point. Mm-hmm. And then Based on the news from this morning, World Rugby is adapting two laws that were trialed in Super Rugby into the full um, spectrum later this year. I want to say it was the, um, the fall internationals. So, you know, um, Australia and New Zealand will play the rugby championship under one set of rules and then the fall internationals under another. Um, the two laws were the 50-22 and the goal line dropout. So, so, so let me – I love the 50 22. So hold on, let let me let me just get this straight. So if you kick from your side of the 50 and it hits inbounds in the 22 and then goes out, it's your line out? Yes. All right. Uh, Yeah, I could dig it. I dig it. Uh, I love it. Defense to offense, defense to offense. Yeah, I I don't know. I love it. 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 it can alt the way it can alter a game. It benefits a pretty respectable level of skill, um, and a a lapse 
on defense, technically, right? If you don't have anyone back, I don't think you should necessarily, you know, we've talked about this whole territory game, but I'm like, man, it's still your ball. Like, the guy just put in an absolute sweet, like, if you if you nail that bad boy cross field on a bounce and you beat both the dropping wing and a covering fullback and that bad boy skids out of bounds, I'm like, yeah, you should probably be – you should probably be a little more rewarded for that besides like, oh, we pinned them back for them to kick it back to us and do it all over again. So, so I love it, especially if it makes sense. Start doing the drop three more. And you're going to see more tries and everyone's happy. Yeah, you're, you're going to see a lot more fullbacks trying to be sharpshooters in that regard as well. So Reminds yeah. me of the, the, the France-England game where the France kicked it from like their five-meter line all the way to England's five-meter line. And then the yeah. other one was the, the goal line dropout. I know. So held up, instead of an attacking five-meter scrum, the defense is drop kicking from the goal. Uh, I, I kind of I, – I just Hate think it. scrums inside, inside the five-meter <laughs> are really competitive, so I, I, I don't like it. <laughs> All right, well, so that's normal world rugby where it's, like, I'm, we don't have I'm – a, I'm a tight five forward. All right, so let me ask you this then, since it's going to be world rugby, I'm assuming MLR is going to have to implement it. Would you? Do you hate it in combination with MLR's stupid scrum rule? Yes. Also that, because I also hate the try rule. Um, I think that's ridiculous. And I do hate the scrum rules this year because it's ridiculous. It we've we've seen it. It is. It is inhibiting the attacking team. We've seen it. it uh, if anyone thinks differently than me, I, I will listen to an opinion, but it has absolutely inhibited the attacking team every single time. I've never seen it once be a benefit unless some team got a wild hair to tap and go, and that tap and go happened to work out, but that has not been the norm. So I think it's a, I think that one sucks. Wasn't also wasn't the big reasoning for it? Sorry, sorry to interrupt, John, but wasn't the big reasoning for the scrum rule like this to make the game go faster, like like for like the audience watching? Because they thought it... people were gonna tap and go. But I'm like, yeah, if you've got a, especially a five meter scrum, you're you legit like. There's probably I and I, I will I can guarantee you this here. You guys want some former player dark arts stuff, I guarantee you there's been scrum meetings telling teams to lose scrums or just commit a penalty on purpose because they can only get two and say you really back your mall defense or your defensive line out and you make them kick it. I guarantee that conversation's happened and that only inhibits the attack because I've always been one, even as a line out guy, there's so many moving pieces, and we've seen it with Utah a couple times. There's a couple angry text messages and phone calls I had to some friends. And other teams, there's a lot of moving pieces on a five-meter lineup. Everyone thinks it's this automatic thing, and it's not necessarily. There's a lot of moving pieces for a lineup to be correct, especially on a five-meter, on a game-winning situation. A lot of things can go wrong. So I dislike both those rules. Because to hold up to hold up a try is is not an easy thing to do. Now on the MLR, you can get away with whatever the hell you want because we ain't got no TMO and you're just 
if you're in the right place at the right time, that's just going to be the call. It doesn't matter what actually happened. <laughs> facts, facts are erroneous. It's all feeling. To hold that up a try is like that's a legitimate defensive. And then you're, I don't know. I I don't like either of them. But I'm also tight my forward and believe the scrum should be much more respected than it is. So I'm probably biased. But you've also seen it's it's done nothing to benefit attack or flow of the game. If anything, it stops the game more because how many teams you see like look around like, wait, we can't have another scrum? Well, oh, crap. Well, what do we do? Uh, okay, I guess we just do a line out. I'm not going to tap and go. I'm not It's not U16 rugby. Like you don't just tap and go and be bigger than the other team. <laughs> it was there was confusion too sometimes for me because you're like, there's one scrum happens. Then I guess the penalty gets called, and then they can scrum again. So then it's even more confusing. Yeah, and you can have one reset. So then that's what I said. I guarantee the conversations have come like, well, just just pull them down again because you can't have another reset. We'll go do a lineout, take our chances with them messing up a lineout or a mall. And like I, that is one hundred percent converse because I would be in the like, hey boys, we get that first penalty. And they go for the reset, just pull his ass down to the ground. And yeah, we'll just that, go maybe, take our chance. Maybe that's why some teams' scrum numbers are so low. <laughs> that's you know? why they're scrum. I, I'm, I'm looking at you, LA. <laughs> right. And I was like, well, make them throw it. Like, maybe think of it like a rainy, like a nasty, rainy game, right? You're like, well, cool, just pull this one down. Let's see if they can get their line out perfectly, right? And maybe we jump or we don't, but they mess that one up. Boom, get out of jail free card. Now we kick, and there's none of this faster attack, more game. I was like, you just had to sit through three lineouts. I was like, that takes way longer than a <laughs> setting up for the next scrum did. All right, I think we've gone on long enough. Let's try to end this before Corey kills us. Um, <laughs> so from all of us, we thank you. You know, you can find – John Collin at Johnny Utah 456 on Twitter. Find Liam at Poacher Rugby on Twitter. You can find myself at Josh Fred in, as Aaron likes to say, lead speak on Twitter. So uh, Look thank like you, and, and we'll be back next week. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, thank you. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com.